0: Hello from Ellensburg, Washington, USA. This is the Nick Sentner Geology Podcast, episode 96 Mount Stewart and Friends. Thanks for listening. Okay, well, I need to apologize. I did not do one of these radio episodes during the entire month of July here in 2022. I apologize. Looks like the last one I did was in late June, June 20th, and it was involving Moses Cooley and water and Joel Gombiner and the Ice Age floods and that sort of thing. And probably during that episode, I said, well, I really need to wrap things up with this Ice Age floods thing and kind of turn the corner. And I did. As soon as July 1st hit, I was officially done thinking about Eastern Washington and the Channeled Scablands and Missoula water and Okanagan Ice Age flood water. And before I forget, let me announce, if I haven't here with the radio episodes, that next spring, spring of 2023, I'll be teaching Geology 351 and the topic will be Ice Age floods. And we will be reading brand new scientific papers and Jerome Lessman, who I've been talking about a fair amount. Will be on sabbatical, and he will be in Eastern Washington, hanging out with the students that I have here for a while. And it's all loose at this point, but uh, I'm I'm hoping to continue uh, chewing, uh, digesting <laughs> Ice Age floods work that's happened in the last ten years, in involving some current work uh, next April, May, and June of 2020. So there'll be some radio episodes back talking about the Ice Age floods then. There'll be a bunch of videos, of course. There'll be live streams from my classroom, etc. So that's, that's down the road. But in the short term, July 1st is when I started thinking about exotic terrains, thinking about the North Cascades, thinking about the upcoming Baja B.C., live stream series, which will begin in mid-November of 2022 and continue through February of 2023. So um, these radio episodes that are coming, and maybe I'll have a few of these here. Maybe I'll, I'll just... Uh, Liz is away back in Idaho visiting family. So it's just me and Bijou the cat. So maybe I'll do more radio stuff in the next week. I'm not sure. But my first major point is... I am back thinking about details involving the exotic terrains, really for the first time in a couple of years, and you're like, well, wait a minute, you were doing all that crazy Eocene stuff, and you were dealing with magmatic flare-ups, and the Dream Team, and all that. That's true. That's true. But most of the focus last winter was on the Eocene, which is geologic activity that's all going berserk here between about 50 million years ago and 45 million years ago. But to really talk about Mount Stewart and the Chewakam Schist, what I'm now calling the Chewakam Gray, I'll explain, and the Strait Creek Fault and all sorts of other things like that, I have to go back two years. And I have been doing that uh, quite literally So Narcissism uh, 401, uh, special topics, I'm watching myself now. Part of what I've been doing in July is, you know, visiting with family and back in Wisconsin and my mother and my sister and uh, we had all of our boys here at the house uh, in late June and early July and then we had another visit from uh, a subset of those guys a couple weeks ago. So it's been plenty of family stuff, and I, I hope you've had time to enjoy family. If, if you do enjoy your if you do enjoy your family, uh, this summer. Uh, but in addition to the family stuff and kind of quote unquote downtime, I've been doing videos in the what's called the Wenatchee Block, which is a portion of the crystalline core of the North Cascades, south of Eniat Fault. And specifically, Mount Stewart Pluton, which invades the Chewakam Schist, the Ingalls Tectonic Complex, and the Windy Pass Thrust. And I have made some steps forward uh, in thinking, and uh, I continue to evolve with some of the filming. So that's really the topic today. Uh, This is not the first radio episode talking about the Mount Stewart-Batholith the Mount Stewart-Pluton, for sure. There might even be one two years ago called Mount Stewart or something like that. I don't know. But in this case, uh, I've got some new things to say about the Mount Stewart-Pluton. Not only things I've learned, but also things that I want to explore uh, in the upcoming series. So I think pretty much uh, from... July first until November fifteenth, when I start this Baja BC live stream series, which of course you're invited to join us, whether it's live or watching and keeping up with that series this winter. Uh, everything I'm doing is is ramping up for that, and and that process has already begun. So that's where I am mentally. Um, another personal note, and then I'll get into the guts. Uh, I turned sixty, and I don't don't know. Really, don't normally share that sort of thing, but um, I turned 60 in in July, and on that day, uh, Liz had an idea. I'm always talking about Asgard Pass. I'm always talking about, I've never, you know, I've always, basically, I'm always grumbling that I've never been up over Asgard Pass to see the prettiest part of the Mount Stewart Pluton, a place called uh, the Enchantments or Ancient Lakes, and there's Permits that are needed and lottery and all that stuff to camp up there, etc. But you know, I'm 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 doing okay physically, and it's kind of now or never uh, to get up there. <clears throat> so Liz and I, and I shot a short video from up on top. So we made it. Uh, Liz and I, she'd already been up there, of course, basically with her hands in her pockets. She's a she's in great shape. But uh, on July 20th, we got up at 5 a.m. or we left the house at 5 a.m. Got to the trailhead at uh, Stewart Lake Trailhead, 7 a.m. And didn't get up to the top of the pass until 1.30. It was mainly me being pretty slow, but uh, 4,400 feet of elevation gain. Man, I mean, that was my max for sure. And uh, so nice feeling to finally get up there. Then, of course, got to get all the way back down. All my toenails survived, boots did pretty well, and we didn't get back to the house till 10 p.m. So that was a full day, um, took me a whole week to recover from that, but that was a rather intimate experience with, with Mount Stewart Pluton. Okay, well, at the eight-minute mark, let's get to the what I'm hoping to share with you today. As is the case, I've been filming uh, most recently as I learned. So the process, starting in early July, and I think there's three or four videos waiting for you, I think three of them are just me solo taking a a Geological Society of America field guide from either 1994 or 2003 or 2017, following that field guide, you know, using the mileage markers, take a 1.2 miles, take a right down this Forest Service road, and all those things are beautifully laid out and you can do those field trips, you know, decades after the fact. And and it's it's really fun. I really enjoy that. And so, you know, when I'm filming, I'm I'm, you know, got my little orange chair next to my car. I park at the field trip stop, I read the stuff, I sketch out a few ideas, I film as I go, I ask some questions out loud to myself. And that's the that's how I teach myself, basically during quote unquote summer school. Um, but it's evolved uh, kind of nicely. So, one example of something I don't think I've ever done before, which I think worked quite well for those that were watching each of these videos, is I did a video. Um, let's see, what did I do? I started, I was using the GSA field guide in 1994, written by Bob Miller and Scott Patterson. And I started in the Ingalls terrain green rocks, ocean floor, 162 million years old, uh, uh, Ruby Creek, uh, right off of uh, US 97, north of Blewett Pass, uh, then following the field guide, I found this amazing little quarry that's private, but I kind of snuck in there, right in downtown Leavenworth, I mean, I don't know how many times I've driven by that, I've never noticed this kind of, I guess it's the Department of Transportation quarry, but the Ingles there is really funky doesn't look like the green waxy serpentinite that I'm used to seeing. And then I never really realized that as soon as you leave Leavenworth, Washington and you start west on US 2 and you enter the Tumwater Canyon, you're entering the Mount Stuart Batholith. For some reason, I just didn't have that in my head. I don't know why. I was I was so focused on the icicle drainage where you're famously, if you leave Leavenworth and go by the Sleeping Lady Resort, and you're driving up Icicle Creek, the Icicle Creek Canyon, that's the famous place that you're going through the Mount Stewart Pluton. But uh, some reason, I, I just didn't have that US2 business in my head. So yeah, of course, that Tumwater Canyon stretch, where the Wenatchee River's usually got real exciting, dramatic water in a narrow canyon, and you know, it's a busy U.S. highway, so there's not a lot of not tons of places to stop where it's nice and tranquil, but God dang, you cross the Leavenworth Fault right there at Leavenworth, Washington, and go into the Mount Stuart Pluton. Okay, so that was new to me. And then as I continued to follow the field guide up US 2, heading west, we get we get back into Chihuahua Schist. So if you're new to this, the players today Mount Stewart and Friends, that's the title. Mount Stewart is 96 to 91 million years ago. And hang on, I got more coming uh, with that. Again, summarizing these videos, but it also reminds me of some of the major leap forwards I've made that I will use this winter. That's the Pluton, Mount Stewart. Pluton, igneous, it's granitic. There's lots of different compositions of the plutonic rock, but let's just call it granite, quote unquote. 96 to 91 million years. But that stuff is invading or coming up through older rock. It's not all the same rock, though. So, let's see. Let me do it this way. The bedrock units in today's radio episode are the Ingalls Exotic Terrain, 162 million-year-old ocean floor material, the actual floor, the actual floor and the subfloor, the Ophiolite suite known as the Ingalls, 162 million. That's out there in the Pacific somewhere 162 million years ago. Good dates on that now. The next constituent in today's episode is the Chewacca Schist, which has a maximum age of 120 million years ago. And it's sediment that's in the deep ocean sitting on top of the ocean floor. Now we have an age difference, realizing this right now, talking to you. We have an age difference of 40 million years plus. Between the 162 million year old Ingalls ocean floor and the Chewacca deep sea sediment, which is now Schist, that cannot be older than 120, apparently. So I'm telling myself right now, you can't be drawing a sketch this winter, boy, where you've got Chewacca sediment sitting directly on top of Ingalls because the ages are off. Okay. But that's the point. And the next point is that those two units, the Ingalls and the Chewacca, are not sitting depositionally one on top of the other because of what I just said. The ages are off by more than 40 million years, but also there's a beautiful thrust fault that separates those two units. And this subfloor ocean material, the ingles, green stuff, which weathers to a bright orange, has been shoved up and on top of, or thrust over, the Chewacca. And that thrust fault contact is known as the Windy Pass Thrust where the Ingalls is being shoved north at least in today's orientation shoved north up and over the Chewacca So you got the old stuff being shoved on top of the young stuff that violates the basic laws of superposition that you learn at the Grand Canyon for instance. And then after that after the windy pass thrust activity is done, the Mount Stewart pluton invades from below. Okay, I'm pausing for two reasons, and I gotta, I'm got getting older now. <laughs> i got to say these things before I forget. Pause number one is the windy pass thrust turns out to be a very major feature that I was teaching two years ago. Did I finish my thought there, by the way? Oh, God, here we go. The Narcissism 401 is that I've been watching each of these Exotic Terrain backyard sessions from the fall of 2020. And I've been learning a lot. I forgot how much I was doing with that series. And I'm to R in the alphabet. It was an alphabet live stream series called Exotic Terrains A to Z. And I've been going back to watch each of those because I'd forgotten much of what I was doing and it primes the pump for me. I'm not literally taking notes on these sessions that I did two years ago now that I know that I'm heading towards Baja BC discussions which involve those same exotic terrains again but from another another take. Okay, so that's finishing that thought. The Windy Pass Thrust is a big deal and... I have to cut to it before I forget one of the videos waiting for you. If you haven't seen it is one of my favorites because I'm hiking with Bob Miller up towards the windy Pass thrust area and on the trail. And that was also 3000 feet of up and 3000 feet of down with a guy who's 71 years old, by the way, Bob's just casually saying, well, yeah, I had one of my most exciting moments sitting up here on top of this area Excuse me. Um, He's reflecting back on his his PhD work, University of Washington back in the nineteen seventies. He said one of my most exciting moments was just sitting up here eating a peanut butter sandwich and thinking this Ingalls has to be thrust on top of the Chewacum. There has to be a thrust fault here. So he was the guy that discovered this. Windy Pass Thrust, Bob Miller, the guy I'm hiking with. And, yeah, the guy that's part of the Dream Team. And I'm due to meet Bob tomorrow up in the North Cascades up at uh, Hank's Grocery Store in Twisp. And then we'll load up the freezers or the uh, coolers that we have and then drive and meet Stacia Gordon and her student up in the North Cascades tomorrow night. So, um. So what I'm leading to, what I was trying to lead to is that I was following these field guides in two separate videos, learning on my own, kind of wondering out loud. And then in the next video, I'm with the guy that did the work. He wrote the field guide. And so those questions that I was asking kind of out loud to myself and to the audience, of course, were then out with the guy and he's got answers for us. And of course he has more questions as well. So that was a real thrill and I don't anticipate doing that more. I mean that was really kind of a fluky thing. I don't know, was it a fluke? I was hmm okay. I knew I was going to hike with Bob. Okay, that, I'm going to get back on that. I'm going to go backwards on that. It wasn't a fluke. Maybe I will do more of this. Huh. Okay. Here's the thought. If I know I'm going to be hiking with somebody, like there's a little bit more of this than there used to be. Well, there's a it never used to happen. So this is new. These These geologists who are doing this work know that I have a big audience and they're aware of what I'm doing. And sometimes they see what I'm doing, but most of the time they don't watch or listen. That's fine. But I'm getting more and more folks saying, I'm going to be in Washington doing my work. Did you want to visit with me? And I don't really know if they are asking to be on camera or not. Maybe they are. I don't know. Uh, But, you know, they at least want to check in and share what they're doing and that sort of thing. And if I really think about it, I suppose they are anticipating me somehow putting a little spotlight on their work, which is great. So in the case of Bob Miller, this is his 49th year in a row. I've said that before, maybe, but it's been a while. This guy has mapped in Wash in the North Cascades of Washington 49 summers in a row. Tomorrow, next summer will be his 50th summer. So in the case of Bob, he, he you know, he doesn't he doesn't need uh shine. But as I was doing in the last radio episode more than a month ago, a guy like Joel Gombiner, who's um Starting his career, full of interesting ideas, kind of, you know, under the radar, you know, not really on the tips of people's tongues. Uh, I can potentially help with that. Uh, Okay, another tangent. I'm even getting uh, people that I'm featuring in videos saying, can I use our video for this job that I'm applying for? Like it's, they're adding it to their... A way to show who they are. And that's been a total surprise, but kind of fun. If you watch all the videos, some of the people, maybe you can guess who they are. Some of the people are like, I think I got that job because they were able to watch the video that I did on your channel. And then they got a real clear picture of who I am and it really put me over the top. So that kind of stuff's just really super fun kind of unexpected twist. Okay, finish my thought. My thought is I was very pleased how that Bob Miller thing kind of came on the heels of two videos where I'm out kind of trying to learn on my own. And maybe that will be a kind of loose plan that I'll have. If I know I'm going to go out with somebody and film them, I want to do my homework essentially before I visit them so that I have a sense of what they're doing and. They almost certainly will be way in the weeds with me as we're filming, and I won't know how to deal with that unless I have some background and some context. But in the case of filming as I go, it's kind of fun to do a couple of these where I'm just stumbling around, and then the next video we're actually out with the person. Okay, so that happened with Bob. So. That first video that I was just trying to summarize, you know, uh, Ingalls and then the Ingalls and Leavenworth and then cross the Leavenworth Fault and then get into the Chewakam Schist, uh, another quarry uh, off of US-2, abandoned quarry basically. And then I finished that video in the Icicle Canyon uh, at a place where the Mount Stuart Pluton had some shear. So that's the other pause that I had five minutes ago, maybe 10 minutes ago with you. It's not, I'm still working on it, but it sounds like everything's happening at once. And what I mean is the Windy Pass Thrust Fault, where one exotic terrain is being shoved up on top of another looks to be happening at about the same time that the Mount Stewart Pluton is invading from below. Now that is brand new to me. I mean, Geology 101 says if you have a Pluton that uh, interrupts two other bedrock units and a thrust fault, then of course the Pluton is the last thing to happen. The Pluton is coming up from below, and cross-cutting Relations says that it's younger. And in general, that's true. But Bob and Scott Patterson and some others are saying, if you look real carefully, you can kind of see some deformation or some shearing or fabric within the Mount Stewart Pluton where there's evidence that this Pluton is, uh, it, it doesn't sound right even when I say it out loud, like the Pluton is hot and liquid it's starting to cool and it's in kind of this oatmeal state where it's not really a st- true liquid it's not truly a, a solid granite it's this mush and as bob says in the video how do you like your oatmeal you like it runny you like it you like it sticky so there's there's evidence that you can follow some of these faults through a pluton indicating that There's kind of action happening at the same time. You're thrusting a little bit at the same time that you're cooling. I still don't really get it, but I guess the main point is, and that's a theme that we had last winter. Okay, okay. That's a theme we had last winter. Even though I was doing the crazy Eocene, I had these three magmatic flare-ups, and I was most interested in the mid-Cretaceous magmatic flare-up last winter with Bob Miller and Mike Eddy and Stacia Gordon. And I don't want to get into all that again right now with you, but you might remember we had an insular superterrain that some thinks were fixed oceanic island arc out in the the water. And North America comes and slams into this thing, but there's basically this thrusting in this magmatic flare-up immediately following that hit. The Cretaceous fireworks, as I was talking about it last winter. So that's kind of where I am going back to thinking about this stuff, but I'm learning new things as well. So the timing of this contraction of the crust or squeezing you know you get a thrust vault you have to squeeze the crust so we've got this contractual episode at the same time that these plutons are invading i mean that's kind of a space problem for that by the way it works a lot better for my mind to be extending the crust and allowing magmas to come up are we really having all these magmas come up while we're squeezing the crust i guess we are <coughs> excuse me Uh, There was another. Oh, yeah. So the next field video, uh, also by myself, this was also before the Bob Miller video, is I went to Stevens Pass. Stevens Pass is north of Snoqualmie Pass. Stevens Pass is where U.S. 2, not Interstate 90, crosses the Cascades. Another major moment for me. For some reason, it had never occurred to me that the Mount Stewart Batholith, the Mount Stewart Pluton, is right there at Stevens Pass. It's the dominant granite at Stevens Pass. I, Without thinking about it, I assumed all that granitic material was much, much younger and part of the Cascade Volcanic Arc, younger than 40 million years. But no, it's the same Mount Stewart Pluton. Now, here's the last major point of today's episode. There is a spatial pattern with this age range within the Mount Stewart Pluton. Earlier in this episode, I said the Mount Stewart Batholith is 96 to 91 million years old. I've used that for a while now in class. But it never occurred to me that if you're up at Stevens Pass, which is in the northwestern portion of the Mount Stewart Pluton, that's the 96 million year old stuff. And then as you work southeast through the Mount Stuart Pluton, you get younger. And the youngest and by far the most voluminous portion of the Mount Stuart Pluton is 91. And that's where I'm busting my ass up Asgard Pass. Sorry, Patrick. That's 91. The beautiful, majestic Stuart Range skyline that I can see from our town That's just the 91 million year old stuff, but the 96 million year old stuff is to the northwest, whatever it is, 20 miles as the crow flies towards Stevens Pass. That's important because now we go back to Bob Hildebrand, if you remember that radio episode, or if you even saw that interview from Bob Hildebrand's backyard in Tucson, Arizona, where I filmed him back in March. And he said, Quite clearly on camera, well obviously everybody knows the Mount Stuart Pluton's been folded. You can see it. You can see it on a geologic map. It's a beautiful folded pattern. And it's, it's true. At Stevens Pass, there's this thing that Miller and Patterson call the hook. Where you have this Mount Stuart Batholith that has it looks like a curved pink blob because that 96 million year old portion of the Mount Stewart Pluton has been folded. There's anticlinal fold axes going right through the Chewakam Schist, which is the country rock of course, and then that goes right into the armpit of the hook. And most everybody agrees, including Bob Miller, that's one of the things I asked him on camera during our hike, you think Mount Stewart Pluton's been folded? Yes I do, says Bob. But then it gets interesting and real pros of what's going on here know what I'm about to say. That's crucial because Mount Stewart Pluton is the centerpiece of the Baja BC idea that that Mount Stewart Pluton crystallized in Mexico and has been migrated north during Baja BC time. And that's orientation of paleomagnetic grains said that wrong. That's orientation of magnetic grains that have been measured. The inclination of those magnetic grains in the Mount Stewart Pluton give us the former latitude of the Mount Stewart Bathlet, the whole reason for Baja BC, at least the beginning of it, 50 years ago, by the way, this year. And if the Mount Stewart batholith has been folded, then that's a huge hit to Baja BC. Well, we finish with this. Bob says, well, yeah, the 96 million-year-old portion of the Mount Stewart Pluton's been folded, but I don't know about the 91. In other words, you don't have a hook. You don't have an obvious fold pattern of the Mount Stewart Pluton when you get 93, and especially down to 91 million-year-old portion of that Invasion of plutonic material. And so we ended that Bob Miller video with, where did Merle get his samples? Where did Merle drill to get those paleomagnetic indicators? Is it possible that the folding of the Mount Stewart pluton mostly happened before 91 million years ago? And did Merle sample the, late, the kind of late stages of igneous activity and that's the paleomagnetic inclination data that supports the case for 2,000 kilometers of northward movement. Okay, so more coming on that for sure. I'll finish with this. I did one more field video after the Bob Miller thing and that's right before I I did a couple more actually but but I, I left Mount Stewart and I went north and I did a video starting at Lake Wenatchee and ending up at White River Falls, an area that I had only been up through once. And it was mostly Chewakam, uh Schist that we've talked about today. But I ended that video approaching the 10-peak Pluton, which is another magmatic flare-up, and the White River Shear Zone, which I think is also a White River Thrust Fault. And got into some Napequa material. So I'm back. I'm back thinking about these individual exotic terrains. And even though I'm surprised at how much material there is in this exotic terrain A to Z live stream series from 2020, um, I'm, I'm continuing to remember how cool that stuff is and that work that I did two years ago with the live audience. And I didn't have guests on camera at that point, but I was, I was doing a lot by email. Um, I'm revisiting those sessions so that I don't have to start from scratch and continue to build on these themes and ideas. So I think until November, I'm probably done talking about Mount Stewart and much of the Wenatchee block. And starting tomorrow, I'm heading up to what's known as the Chelan block, and visiting with Station Bob, camping with them tomorrow night for the next two nights, actually, and uh, probably, hopefully, film a bunch with them, and start thinking about other stories from the North Cascades. But I wanted to film this before I go up to that northern part of the North Cascades in in Washington, and just kind of put this Wenatchee block story to rest. I think that's it for now. I hope it's not another month before I check in with you again. Thank you, dear listener. I appreciate you listening to this. I love you, and goodbye. Got a little wrong with me to have this ice front in motion, advancing and retreating, and having this water get sent into Moses Cooley just for a short amount of times. So I'll finish with this. Also part of this story is the fact that we had Ice Age floods that are far older than 20,000 years ago. Potentially hundreds of thousands of years ago. And so now we're back to realizing that the Great Terrace and other major glacial landforms and Ice Age flood landforms north of the Mansfield channels might be directly part of this story. And that would also be a step forward to realize that we have far older, earlier Ice Age Flood chapters that did most of the major work, potentially. And maybe some of this stuff that we thought was all happening at the same time is not happening at the same time. I'd love to be able to tease that out and present that to my students. Including you. I consider you my students. Whether you want to be considered that or not. 35 minutes, that's probably enough for today. Thank you for listening to this, hopefully, continued reporting on Moses Cooley and the rest of the Ice Age floods. Maybe this will do it. Maybe just doing this one with you right now will just get this last little piece of Ice Age flood stuff out of my head. And I really can start uh, turning the page. It's supposed to get hot for the first time this summer. Uh, in a few days. So it's maybe time for me to head up into the mountains anyway. And leave eastern Washington where the temperatures are rising. Thank you, dear listener. I love you. And goodbye.